0: We are carrying on with our new series uh, in the book of John. So we're to John's gospel. We're still in chapter 1 this morning. Um, so we are looking at page uh, 1063. Um, if, you're, if you're reading from the Pew Bibles. Um, sorry, no, 1064. Uh, we are looking at verses 29 uh, through to verse 34 of chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34 In the Pew Bibles, that has the subtitle, Jesus, the Lamb of God. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning, Jesus, the Lamb of God. John chapter 1, verses 29 uh, through to verse 34. So just to, just to clarify any confusion, uh, there is a gospel writer called John. So sometimes we're going to say John writes, um, and that's, that's the, the gospel writer. And sometimes we're going to say John says. Um, so just to, to clarify that, that's John the Baptist. So John the Baptist says, and John the Gospel writer writes, uh, because there's two Johns here in this first chapter that can be a bit confusing. So when we say the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him, that's John the Baptist. Uh, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me, has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. And we end our reading there and We thank God for that word. Let us pray for his blessing upon his words. Written and spoken this morning. Loving God we thank you. Uh, for this testimony. For the sign. That John gives us. The sign that John the Baptist received from heaven. And said that the one. Whom you see the spirit come down and like a dove. He is the lamb of God. He is the son of God. He is the one who will take away the sin of the world. And as we unpack that, as we think what these signs and symbols mean for us this morning, Lord, may we respond in the appropriate way. I pray, God, that you will bless my words as I speak them. May I only speak your words and not my own. And in the words of, of John the Baptist that he speaks elsewhere, I must become less so that he can become more. Lord, we want to lift you up today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm a great believer in the importance of of symbols, um, in the importance of symbolic gestures, whether that's in in the life of the church or or in the world around us. Um, As long as um, we recognize that these symbols and, and, and these symbolic gestures mean so much more Uh, than what they actually are. So, so for example, uh, a number of years ago when when Queen Elizabeth II uh, visited Dublin, in that historic visit to Dublin and and in that that state dinner that she had uh, with the President of Ireland and she spoke um, those words in the Irish language. Uh, Or or in 1995 when when South Africa won the World Cup rugby for for the first time. Um, not the fourth time like this year, um, but when we won it for the first time uh, in, in, in 1995, and um, Nelson Mandela stood alongside um, Francois Pinard, the, the Springbok captain, as he lifted up the trophy. And, and these were, were gestures. They were, they were simple words spoken in, in another language, or they were just one man standing next to another man, but they spoke of so much more. They spoke about a a desire for reconciliation. They spoke of a a breaking down of of barriers that had existed uh, for for decades, even centuries. And and we also have have symbols and and, and symbolic things that we do within the life of our church. This morning, we're going to receive bread uh, and and wine. And and we know that it's just bread and wine, but they mean so much more to us than that. Um, They are are symbols of, of the body given for us. There are symbols of the blood shed for us. And even through the Bible, there are, there are symbolic words used. We've got this banner of, of, of so many symbolic words that describe who Jesus is, words that come from Scripture uh, that, that say one thing but, but mean um, so much more. And, uh, and in this passage, or even in John's gospel itself, it's, it's overflowing with symbolic language, it's overflowing with, with signs and, and things that we, that we read that, that, that have a deeper meaning to them uh, than, than just how they appear on the surface. In this passage, these symbols of, 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 of the lamb and of the dove and of water and of movement, and, and we're gonna be thinking about that this morning. Last week, Norman started this series uh, on John's gospel um, called Signs of Life. And Norman pointed out to us that John's gospel is different to the other three gospels, which are sometimes called the synoptic gospels because of their similarity. Uh, because uh, when we put them alongside one another, we can see that they, they borrow verses and stories from each other, and there's a similarity to them. And one of the differences, Norman pointed out to us, was that John doesn't fill his gospel with miracles. There are not a lot of miracles um, that, that John tells us about in his gospel. Uh, In fact, he he rather gives us just seven, uh, and he calls them signs, seven signs in his gospel. And what those signs are are pointing us to uh, is probably best summed up in the closing words of of chapter 20 of John's gospel, when he says, "These, these signs, these are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. So the signs that we find in John's gospel are there to point us to Jesus being the Son of God. And, and when he calls him the Son of God, what he means is that he is God the Son. And, and as the Son of God, John is also pointing to us that Jesus is the source of eternal life. In this passage this morning, I want to, I want to pick up three, three things, um, three times or three ways that, that John uses symbolic language that direct us not just towards Jesus being the source of eternal life, but how how eternal life becomes possible for us because of Jesus. Unfortunately, I couldn't figure out a way to get them all to start with the same letter, Um, so I'll leave the alliteration uh, to to, to Norman. Maybe I should have called this the a, a Sermon of signs, Symbols in the Spirit. Uh, maybe that's the title I should have given us. Um, the first symbol that I want to point out uh, this morning uh, is, is John's reference to Jesus as a lamb. In verse 29, John the Baptist says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As New Testament people, when, when we think of the lamb of God, we, we often think of the lamb who sits on the throne. We've sung about it this morning. You know, the lamb who is victorious, who sits on the throne that everybody bows down to uh, and, and, and praises and worships. But, but when John was making this pronouncement, when, he, when John was speaking these words and saying, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he was talking to Old Testament people. He was talking to people who had not yet seen the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so for them, the image of a lamb, and, and particularly the lamb of God, it, uh, there was an association of, of sacrifice and death. The, the idea of the Lamb of God goes all the way back to Genesis. And the story in chapter 22 when God says to, to Abraham that, that he wants him to go and sacrifice his, his son. His, his firstborn son, Isaac. And as they approach the place where the sacrifice is to take place, Isaac looks and sees that everything is there except except the lamb that is to be sacrificed. And, and he says to his father, where is the lamb to be sacrificed? And Abraham replies, God himself will provide the lamb. And so the people of Israel have been waiting for God to provide his lamb. And throughout the Old Testament, there were Passover festivals. Every year there were Passover festivals. And at all these festivals, there was a lamb in every household that was that was sacrificed, that was roasted, that was eaten as as a reminder of the people's deliverance from Egypt. But more than just reminding them of what had already happened, uh, each lamb was also a symbol of it. It also pointed to God's lamb, God's coming Messiah that was going to come and set them free once and for all, that was going to restore a kingdom that would last forever, who would take away the sin of the world. But not one of those sacrificed lambs were ever able to forgive a single sin. Not one of them took away any sin in this world. They were all just pointing Israel to someone who would still come and do that. And when John sees Jesus coming, he points him out to the people there and he says, that man, he is the one who's going to do that. Look, he says, the Lamb of God. And by calling him the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John is clear that in order for sin to be taken away from this world, Jesus will need to be sacrificed. That man coming here, he's going to take away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb of God. He is going to have to lay down his life to do that. That's the connotation that the original listeners would have heard and understood when John was talking about Jesus being the Lamb of God. And you notice well that it's not the sins of the world that John says that Jesus will take away, that the Lamb will take away. It's not a plural, it's a singular, the sin of the world. Even though our individual sins are forgiven through what Jesus did on the cross, John is saying that Jesus is going to do so much more than that. He will take away the sin of the world, the sinfulness. Of the world, and so while John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God, which taken away, uh, which has connotations of death, he is also saying that he is going to take away the sin of the world. But death is the penalty for sin. So then, what he's saying is that by dying, Jesus is going to take away death. Jesus will remove death from this world because he's going to take away sin. And in its place, what he's going to bring is new life, eternal life, because of his death. Sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, and it will be taken away through one man. That man, John is saying, that one, the one who's coming towards us, Jesus. And John knows it is Jesus because God promised him that he would give him a sign so that he would know who it is. John says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. Now now we know that he did know Jesus because they were family, but he didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't know that Jesus was the Lamb of God until that sign. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So that means the story that we just read there in John chapter 1 is, is happening after Jesus' baptism. Jesus has already been baptized. He has probably gone off to the wilderness and now he's coming back. And John says, there he comes, the Lamb of God. And I know it's him because when I baptized him, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. And that was the sign that God said he would give me so that I would know that he is, he is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. It's the sign that God gives to John. The sign of the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove. And it's in that that we see the second symbol that I want us to think about this morning. When those first listeners heard John talking about a dove, I've no doubt that they were probably thinking about the story of Noah. that Noah sends out a dove to see if new life has returned to earth after the flood. And, that, and the dove doesn't come back. The dove goes to see if there is new life. And it's an appropriate symbol for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. He is associated with new life. In Genesis, God breathes his spirit into the man and the man becomes a living being. It is the spirit that brings life. And so as the dove flies off, as Noah lets the dove fly off to go and see if there is new life out there, If the flood has receded and and, and, and new life has now become possible, here we see in Jesus the dove return. The dove comes back, the spirit comes back as a dove and says there is new life. And it is on this man that I'm descending. That's where we're going to find new life. And so again we see this connection in Jesus between death and life. As the dove symbolized new life on earth following the flood, so the Holy Spirit points us to the new life that we find in Christ because of his death. Jesus, whose death as the Lamb of God, brings new life through the Spirit. And so in terms of symbolic language, we see how the Lamb and the Dove are the signs that John uses to show us who Jesus is and what he will do. And then the third bit of symbolic language that I, I want to highlight this morning is, is maybe a little bit more subtle, but, but it's equally important. And that is the symbolism of movement, of movement. At the start of the passage, it, it, it says that John saw Jesus coming towards him. Jesus coming towards him. And later on in that passage, he says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven. What we see in both these verses is Movement. Movement of Jesus, movement of the Spirit, movement of God. And that movement is towards us. God is moving towards us. He makes the first move. And then he invites us to move towards him. In Romans 5 verse 8, Paul writes that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God made the first move. If you're here today and you're wondering if death is going to have its, uh, the final say over your life, if you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're sitting here thinking, is there more or is death it? Does death have the final say or is there an alternative? There is an alternative. And that alternative is life, eternal life. And it comes through Jesus. That man, Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is God the Son, has taken away the sin of the world and in him death has lost its sting. He has moved towards you, offering you the gift of eternal life through what he has done on the cross and through his resurrection. And his invitation to you today, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, is to move towards him because he is there with open arms. Not open arms just nailed on a cross, but open arms ready to embrace you as his son or as his daughter this morning. And if you have already given your life to Jesus, there is also an invitation for you today to move, to move closer to God, to step into the new life, fully into the new life that you have received through him. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance which means that it symbolizes a decision to turn away from evil and to move towards God, to move in the direction of where God is. It symbolizes movement. And this morning you are being invited into symbolic movement too. That's part of what we're doing this morning when we're inviting you to come forward and receive Holy Communion this morning. A movement towards God. In, in the Presbyterian church, the usual practice is that you remain seated and the elders come to you with the elements, with the bread and the wine. And you remain seated there. But not all Reformed churches do it that way. In some, um, like the Methodist church, uh, the, the, the congregation come forward row by row to accept God's invitation uh, of, of, uh, to his table. That invitation to remember what Jesus has done Over the summer, particularly in August, we have been thinking about being set apart for God, about being consecrated, about moving ourselves out of the way of the world and stepping into the way uh, of God. And so we're inviting you this morning to do that by physically moving towards God, by moving towards these symbols of Jesus, of his life laid down for us, to receive that bread and wine, symbolically showing our desire To move towards God. Our desire to set ourselves apart for him. The bread and the wine symbolize Jesus' willingness to leave the comfort of heaven and to move towards us, towards the cross. The invitation today is for you to move from your place of comfort. I don't know if the pews have ever been called a place of comfort. But to move symbolically away from that place of comfort and say I'm coming to you God. You have come to me and now I come to you. It might feel like it's going to be a little bit chaotic, but it's not. Make it meaningful. As Norman says, as you are waiting to be invited forward, prepare yourselves for what we're going to do. We're going to remember Christ laid down for us. And as you go back to your seat, just sit there in that time of remembrance, in that time of reflection. God moves towards us. And invites us to move towards him as he stands there with open arms to receive us, to hold us close to him, and to never let us go. Shall we pray? Thank you, God, for your love for us. That meant that though you saw us caught up in sin. You didn't stay where you were, but you moved towards us. You came to us. You left the comfort of heaven to come to a dusty earth. And an old rugged cross. And lay down your life for us. And though you were taken off of that cross. And that cross is now an empty cross. Still your arms are spread open wide. Ready to receive us. And so God we come to you today. May your blessing be upon us as we do that. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.